Hello. Hello. You are listening to This Is Awkward, the podcast about how to have difficult conversations. We are your hosts, Leanne Nicholl and Christy McLeod. Ever feel like you put your foot in your mouth more often than a contortionist? Or worse, say nothing at all when confronted with tricky subjects. We are here to help by dissecting what makes some conversations so difficult and how you can broach them. Life would be easier without awkward silences, faux pas and full-blown rows. We will be talking to some amazing guests who will recount some of their trickiest conversations and what they learnt from them. As well as offering some brilliant hints and tips on how to tackle some of life's most awkward topics. Time to fill those awkward silences. Today's podcast is all about how to talk about divorce or relationship breakdown with children. This is a really difficult area, but to help us delve into how to guide kids through this is psychologist Dr. Marta De Ros Collado. You may already know Dr. Marta from her wonderful Instagram page, which has taught me a thing or 2000 about how to help navigate <laughs> tricky conversations with kids. Dr. Marta also has her own podcast called Talking Sense with Dr. Marta, which I would highly recommend. Dr. Marta, welcome to This Is Awkward. Hi, so Hello. nice to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. So divorce and relationship breakdown can be such a painful time for everyone involved. Before we get into this, can you reassure listeners who might have already been through this and had those difficult conversations with their children that all is not lost if things went awry or if you know, there were things that they wish they'd said or things that they wish they hadn't said. Are there any wise words of reassurance that they haven't, you know, damaged their children irreparably for life? Yeah, I mean, I don't believe in damaging our children irreparably for life unless you are abusing them in some way. And I think when it comes to like divorce and separation, it's such a difficult time for everybody emotionally, practically, psychologically. There's a lot going on. So, I mean, for me, the words of reassurance are you're probably not going to get it perfectly right. And that's okay. It's often about owning the fact that it's really hard for you as well as a parent, because that can help children feel like their feelings are normal, however they're feeling. And if there's things that I shared today that you think, oh, I never did that, I wish I had, it's never too late, like just pick it up, no matter how long ago it's been. If there's something that you think, I really wish I'd said that to my child, you can still do that. Like, I don't believe in a time frame when you really have to do this. I think there's a more or less useful timings, but you can just go back to your kid and say, you know, when we separated or when we divorced, we never had this conversation. I've been thinking about it and I think it'd be nice to revisit it. You can always do that. And, you know, children appreciate those kind of conversations with us and they also learn that they don't have to be perfect all the time, that you can kind of come back to a conversation a little bit later and still finish things off. So think of these conversations as like the first time you talk and see it as an ongoing kind of story that you're creating with your child. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's so useful. I think that point in particular about, gosh, it's never too late. I just, I guess that must be quite a common 
thought for people, you know, you, you have those moments and they're, oh gosh, I guess we all do it. Those conversations that you replay and think, oh, I wish I'd said that or I wish I'd done that differently. That's so interesting and useful to know that there's all the doors always open. And, and I love what you were saying there about, um, you know, enabling children to, to learn something from that as well, that, that it's, that's something that they can take forward as well. That's so interesting. Thank you. I think yeah. that's really, really helpful that those conversations do not have to end at a certain point and that you can revisit um, and say the things that you'd wished you'd said. I think a lot of us have that in many of these difficult conversations that we're talking about. In the past, it seemed like adults thought it was a good idea to keep these conversations about separation and divorce behind closed doors and and children were not part of this conversation. To what extent should they be part of the conversation? What are the um, benefits and the pitfalls of being more open? So I think that's a really interesting comment and I totally agree with you. I think there are things that are important to protect your child from and there are things that your child needs to understand because children will know when parents are not okay. Whether you name it or you don't, children feel it, right? There's an atmosphere in your home. They will, they will get a sense that something is not okay. And the younger they are, the more likely they are to feel like it's their fault. Like they will blame themselves rather than seeing it as like a parental issue. They will think there's something about me that's creating a rift between my mom and dad or my mom and mom or my dad and dad. So what's really important is about separating some things, but kind of opening the door to understanding and helping your child know the bits that are important for them. So the things that I would separate would be things like lots of anger or lots of conflict between you two. And that can be really tricky in these kinds of moments because if you're thinking of separating or divorcing, but you're still in the same house, then there's likely going to be more conflict. So sometimes it's not possible to remove all the conflict away from your child, but as much as possible, do repair with them. So if they hear you arguing or disagreeing, make sure that you take the time afterwards to sit with your child, either together or separately. Sometimes as parents in these moments of conflict, it's really hard to kind of meet in the same place. If you're able to do that, then that is absolutely wonderful. If you're not, the one who is most able to go to your child and repair with them, just explain to them that you've had a disagreement, that you've had a fight, that they are not responsible for it, that everything is okay, that you are talking to each other and maybe shouldn't have raised your voices or whatever it is that happened. So give your child like some context You don't have to talk about the separation or the divorce in that moment. It's just about repairing the conflict if they see it. And as much as possible, try and keep that separate from your child. And the things that they need to know is when you're ready, because for me, it's about parental readiness. When you're ready and you think, okay, we have a plan. Okay, so this isn't a big emotive moment, hopefully, because although it will be emotional. Hopefully you've already gone through some of that process as a couple to decide that you don't want to be a couple anymore. Then it's about sitting your child down and having a conversation or your children, ideally together, where you offer them a really succinct story of why you don't want to live together anymore and what is going to happen. And the things that children really need to hear is what's going to change 
and what's going to stay the same. Those are like the critical bits and they need some reassurance. And for me, the reassurance with children, the thing that I share with most parents going through this is that children need to be reassured that you are still the family. And to some parents, that sounds really strange because they think, well, we're separating, but you're separating as a romantic couple. And that is not the same as separating as a family. You are always going to be your child's parents. So to your child, you will always be a family. And it's a really nice thing to remind your child wherever you live or whatever happens in your personal relationships as adults, they will always have a family. They will always have you. And when we do that, when we offer our child that kind of big reassurance, it can really help limit some of the kind of stresses and, um, you know, the things that come up for kids over the process and the transition of things changing practically in a family home. In a kind of rarer circumstance where there is going to be complete um, relationship breakdown because um, of safeguarding issues, for example, is there a similar line you can use about family uh, regarding creating a new family or or anything that would be reassuring in that way for the, for people who they can't maintain this amicable kind of centered family yes i mean that's a really big question i think it's an important one as well i think if we're talking about safeguarding and so a child may not see one of their parents anymore for risk issues, then that needs to be named. So I would name that and I would say it. And yes, you can still, but you can say it in a way that is developmentally appropriate. Obviously, I don't know how old these children are, but you know, the younger they are, the simpler you keep it. So you might say, we won't be seeing your parent for a while because it's not safe for us. Right. Something like that is enough. And yes, you can say, but we are still a family. You can say we are still a family. And you can think about the people who are still very present in your child's life that constitute family. And for me, family doesn't have to just be biology. It could be, of course, extended family members like grandparents or aunties and uncles. But it could also be like friends, godparents, neighbors, people who support you and your child. And you might start to help your child kind of think about who family is to them mm-hmm. and kind of help them know like they're not on their own and you're not going anywhere. So in those kinds of um, divorce or separation where there is safeguarding, for me, the main reassurance in this case is about helping a child know that you're not going to disappear. So mm-hmm. again, the younger they are, they're more likely to think, well, I don't see my other parent anymore. So if the parent I have now gets angry or upset, they might disappear. So you might need to reassure them that you're going nowhere. You're going to stay firm where you are. You know, you are a family, you're a team, and there's other people around you who can support you and your child. That's really helpful. It is. And uh, interestingly, so you, you mentioned age a couple of times there, which segues right into my next question, actually, because um, I think it's really interesting to unpick this idea around what's age appropriate as well, because I guess, I don't know, maybe people swing from one extreme to the other of either thinking, oh, this person is so little and tiny, they can't possibly know anything through to almost over oversharing and, and then, you know, almost passing on too much burden to the young person. Mm-hmm. So are there any 
I know it's always a case by case basis, but is there anything you can suggest in terms of how to how to pitch it right based on on the age of the child or children that you're talking to? Um, it's a good question. I think it's tricky because I think it is age specific. I think you need to separate when you have these conversations, the, the bits that are for you that are about your couple relationship and the things that are for your child. So the things that are like practical or context wise important for your child. So things like if you're separating or divorcing, what will that change look like for your child? You know, when will they see both of their parents if they do? Where where will they be living or staying when they see each parent? Where will their toys be or their things be? Um, you know, if they're teenagers and a little bit older, you also want to think about school. You want to think about whether they'll still be going to the same school or are you moving away? You know, those are the things that kids genuinely care about and think about, you know, how will it affect me? And those are the bits that you need to kind of focus on in the conversation more than what happened in your couple relationship that made you not want to be together anymore. And it's about allowing children to offer questions and of course express any feeling that they have. So saying things like all your feelings are allowed, you know, it's okay. However your feeling is all right. I'm here for you. And if they're older, like teens, you may say to them, and if you don't want to talk to me, I get it. And I think that's really important because sometimes mm. our older children don't want to talk to us. They don't want to upset us. And also they might have things that they want to express or communicate. So you need to also see it as normal. If your teenager chooses a friend or another adult who is a safe adult for them to have a conversation. And for this, I, this goes into another topic, but I think it's important. I would always say with children, it's really key to think with them as early on as possible. And if you've never done this before, you still have time. Think with them about four to five people who are their safe people. You know, four or five people that they would go to and talk to, who are they? Because as a parent, you need to know that they've got kind of like uh, a safeguarding network, a security network. And you need to know who those people are. And if possible, you as an adult, before th something like this happens, ideally, you need to have a conversation with these adults and just let them know that if your child goes to them and talks to them, you're okay with that. And if there's something risky, then of course, you're open to hearing about it so that you could support your child as appropriately as you can because you're the parent. But also children sometimes share things that they say, please don't tell my parents. And if it's not a risky issue, if it's like, you know, I'm really angry with my mum, but I don't want to tell her, maybe mum doesn't need to hear that right now. So it's really important that we offer children like different spaces where they can speak and be heard. And obviously one of those spaces needs to be with us. And as children get older, we need to also just accept that actually sometimes our children are not going to come to us and that's okay. Don't take that as a personal kind of failure on your part. It often is a way for children to protect their parents um, for, of how they're feeling or what's going on for them. So just try and be as understanding as you can of your child's reactions. That's wow, such brilliant that advice. That was, yeah, uh, really, really good. And would you say that that's actually 
like a marker of really successful parenting that your child um, has established these other bonds and feels confident enough to speak with other adults? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you've created a support network around your child of people that they are like, you're a safe person, I can talk to you, I can open up. Um, that's huge. You know, like, I think for, for children and adults, this is also good for parents to kind of remember, you know, it's important for you to have people around you that you trust, that you can support. So rather than, I, you know, one of you talked about oversharing, rather than oversharing with your child, try and think about who can support you as well, because this is really hard for parents. I don't think anybody goes into a marriage or a couple relationship thinking we're going to separate. So it's hard. It's painful. Um, do have people around you that can listen to you, that can support your emotional well-being, that can offer you that kind of non-judgmental space, because I think that's really necessary for parents. And then when we have that, we're more able to then really think about what we want to offer or communicate with our children in a much more kind of contained way because our emotions are being held somewhere else. Absolutely. So our role with the kids is to is to be in a place where we can contain these big emotions as they're going through this huge life changing event for them. But we need to be in a place where we are stable enough to have those conversations without completely losing it ourselves. Are there any other things that um, you've mentioned the support network and talking to other people? Are there any other ways that parents can get themselves ready for these, these difficult conversations? What can they do to be in the right place to start them? Yeah, I think going from what you said there, which is important, you know, I think a contained conversation is really helpful. And I'm going to add a nuance to this, you also need to give yourself permission to have feelings. And mm. it's okay for your child to see you cry. It's mm. okay for your child to hear you say, this is really hard on me as well. You know, you're human. And actually being able to show your child that leaving the other parent is hard for you shows how important this family relationship, this couple relationship is. So you don't have to always be like a robot. You know, you don't have to hide your tears from your child. It is absolutely okay to show emotion, be yourself. What I would add to that is just make sure that you always say to your child that your tears are not their responsibility. So it can be really brief. It can be something like, I am really upset. You know, this is really hard for me too. I loved your other parents so much. And it's really hard that our family is changing, but we'll always be a family. And you don't have to look after my tears, okay? I have auntie, uncle, grandma, friend, whoever, who I can talk to. You know, my tears are mine. Tears are healthy. You don't have to worry about me. It's really important that we offer that to our children as well so that they're not worried about us. And I think in terms of just preparing for these conversations, I, I often say to parents, write yourself a little script of what you want to say. It can be really brief, short story of why you're no longer together. It can be as brief as saying, we've decided that we don't want to live together anymore, that it's not working for us. Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be very complicated. That's enough. Go into the things that you want to explain that are important for your child. Tell them it's okay, however you feel about this. You're allowed to have any feeling. I'm here for you if you want to talk. And then 
leave it open for questions. So, you know, say to your child, is there anything you want to ask me? And don't expect your child to be the one who comes to you to ask questions. Some children will, definitely. Some children won't. Some children won't even react. And if that's what happens, it doesn't mean that they haven't absorbed the conversation. It just means that they're kind of processing it or thinking about it, or maybe they're saving their reaction for another space or another time. So just, you know, one of the ways to prepare yourself for this conversation is to kind of expect the unexpected. Some children get very upset. Some children get angry. Some children just go, all right, and go back into playing. Mm -hmm. So it can feel a bit confusing because often for parents, this is such a big conversation that they've thought about, planned, you know, being really cautious about. And then when you witness your child's reaction, it might surprise you. So I think expect the unexpected, leave it open. And just remember, this is your first conversation of many. Um, you can re-half this conversation as many times as you want and make sure that every now and again, you just bring it up when it feels right to you or when you think there's a bit of time and you're with your child, try try and reopen the conversation and see where things are at for them. Wow, that's such a brilliant selection of of anchor points. And I bet anybody listening to this who is gearing up for one of these conversations will be going back over that section quite a few times and writing down some notes, I could imagine. Is location a factor when you choose to bring these conversations up? Is there anything to bear in mind there around time and, you know, time and space, as it were? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think every family and couple are unique, but thinking about when you do it and ideally together, if that's possible, in terms of how you are communicating as a couple um, and whether you do it at home or you do it outside somewhere like a cafe or something like that. I mean, that's very unique, right? For some parents, they find it easier to not be in their home, like in the family home to have this conversation. For some families that can feel really unsafe, right? Because children might get really upset or walk out or, you know, it can feel a little bit less containing in a public space. But if you do it in your home, also have a thick, do you want to do it in a bedroom? Or do you want to do it more like in a lounge kind of open area that is like communal, if you like, a bit neutral? Mm -hmm. Thinking about like bedrooms, it can kind of make children associate like being with a parent or not being with a parent in their bedroom. So I would say a neutral space is best, but the kind of neutral space that you choose is really up to you. I know some people have gone and had like a picnic in a park, which they knew was very quiet and they felt like that felt better because it was neutral. It wasn't in their home, but you need to think about the fact that what is happening is a rupture in your family home and your family structure. And when you go home, you're still going with that rupture. The rupture doesn't get left in the park. So just have a think about what works for you. Um, there is no right or wrong, like absolutely not. I think everybody's unique and individual and what works for one family might not work for another. So just, it is something to think about and consider, but yeah, I can't tell you where to do it for you. Mm. You need to think about that yourselves. And in terms of situations where there may be more than one child, what are your thoughts and, and suggestions around would you tell 
all children at the same time? Would you tell them individually? How does that tend to play out, do you think? So we know that telling children at the same time is the best thing that you can do. And even if you're, you know, your children often have age gaps, of course, um, unless you've got twins. But if even if your little one is really little, like two or three, and then your eldest is like 10 or 11, of course, in your mind, you will think, well, my 11 year old is going to have different questions and need different kind of conversation to my three year old. But the first time you communicate this, the best thing you can do is do it with everyone together. And you keep it as simple as your youngest child will understand. So if you've got a tiny little one, a two-year-old, three-year-old, you might even use some drawing. You know, your your 11-year-old will get it. So don't worry about them. But the reason for like doing children together is that you often parents, if you do it separately, what happens is the oldest children feel like they're responsible for their siblings. Mm. And they will hold on to anxiety or hold on to like other things to make things better for their little sibling. And that's not a responsibility we should place on our children. So the best thing you can do is do it together the first instance. And then remember, this is just the first conversation of many. And with your 11-year-old, you may have different conversations in the future to what you have with a three-year-old as as you go forward. But telling the news or sharing the news, it's really helpful to do it at the same time so that everybody's aware of the same message going out, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So I'd like to know if there are any words or sentences that are best avoided. I know that's going to be quite a large subject. Um, But is there anything for people listening that it's really best to not say? I think the only thing I can think of, it's a really good question. I haven't thought about things like words not to say, but I would say try not to blame each other or saying like whose fault it is. Mm. You know, like mum had an affair, for example. You know, mum had an affair. It's her fault that we're not going to live together anymore. I would avoid saying something like that. Dad is leaving us, you know, like... There's, there's a, an us and them attitude. I've heard of this um, idea uh, that children see themselves as half of their, each of their parents, half of their mum and half of their dad. I don't know um, how kind of ingrained in psychology <laughs> theory that is. But do they, even if um, there is wrongdoing, do they then take that on as, as being part of themselves and themselves having done something wrong? Is that why we avoid the blame? That's a really good question. So avoiding the blame is so that your child doesn't just align with one parent. Mm. So, you know, there's a baddie and there's a goodie, okay, which is very much how children's brains work. They work very black and white, very literally, until they're about, you know, the age of eight and then moving forward there's more nuance. And yes, you know, of course, a teenager might find out that a parent's had an affair and they might get very angry with that parent, maybe. But it's about that teenager having their own emotional experience, right? You want your child to have their own experience of both parents, not a parent influencing a child to think or feel about a parent in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So that's why we don't use the blame. And you need to remember that children love their parents. Like 
even if there's wrongdoing, they still love you. Like, this is a fact. I've worked with thousands of children. No matter how you are with your child, you know, with them and the relationship or how parents act, children tend to love their parents. So it's painful and hurtful to hear that somebody that they love has harmed the other person that they love. So the best thing to try and do is talk with the kind of we words, you know, like we've decided not to live together anymore or we're what both want to stop shouting or arguing and so we can't live together anymore whatever it is you want to try and work on it as though you're a team because you are your co-parents um as much as possible rather than putting the blame or talking negatively about the other parent in front of your children let your children figure it out and i know for some parents this is really hard and very painful especially if you are the parent who feels like some harm was done to you by your partner and i get that that's really painful and that's why that needs to be taken somewhere safe for you with another adult whether it's you know like i said a friend or a family member or even in therapy um you know if that feels like something that would be useful to you because it's it's important that you get validated by those harsh feelings but we can't expect our children to validate our experiences as adults so don't expect your child to be like i'm so sorry you know like you're you know you're the victim in this relationship i hate my other parent i think when children get polarized in that way it leads to really unhealthy relationships so the best you can do is try and be neutral about what happened and as children grow up you know they learn so if you're a parent you think but you know my partner really did me wrong and you know what will happen when my child finds out your child will probably find out when they're an adult because we all do, right? Like mm-hmm. we all become adults and we can see our parents as humans as well as people that we love. But mm-hmm. in childhood, we just idealize our parents most of the time. That's just part of childhood. And when you start to see your parent as a human, you start to make your own decisions. But at that point, you're already like in adulthood and you can kind of think, I don't like this part of my parent, but I do still love them. Does that make sense? That kind of nuance? Definitely. And I think it's something that so many of us have been through with a bit of distance from our own childhoods and and looking back and interrogating things that have happened in the past a little bit as an adult. Um, And I really, I've loved this discussion. I've loved how grown up and unifying it's felt. Um, I love the way you've explained that thought process around how children's brains work and the importance of not attributing blame to one parent and why that's so, you know, why that can be so impactful. And then thinking about longer term, what are some of the do's and don'ts that you'd suggest for once, you know, the separation has occurred and then people are living apart. Are there any do's and don'ts that parents should bear in mind about how they talk about their former partner around their children? Oh, this is a nice question. It's a hard one too, though. So what I'm going to say now is going to sound hard for some couples. And I just want to say, do good enough. Okay. You don't, Mm. you know, be genuine. You're really hurt by your partner. You're not going to be talking 
you know, about how wonderful they are. But the other thing I want to remind parents and couples is you were together for a reason. Okay. Once upon a time, your story started differently. It may not have ended together, but you did come together once upon a time. There were things that brought you close. There were things that you both admired and, you know, thought of positively about each other that made you want to create a family together because that will be true. And when you're ready, you need to look at that. Okay. You need to kind of go back in your story, your couple story, not with your children, just by yourself. Look at photos, look at holidays you've been to, look at the good times. I did say when you're ready. Okay. I'm going to repeat that. It doesn't have to be immediately. And you need to remember, you know, what are the good bits of this human that I chose to have a romantic relationship with and even have children with? Because your children do carry bits from both of you. And some of those good bits will be in your child too. So you are having a relationship forever as a co-parent. Like this is a truth that can be really hard, but it is true. You will forever have a relationship with the other, whether it's with each other or through your child. And I think one of the do's and don'ts is as much as possible, stay respectful to the other person in front of your child. Like, Mm Be civil and respectful at a minimum if you're able to show an appreciation of the other for the time that you spent together, then that's even better. So what do I mean by that? So it might be something like remembering that it's the other parent's birthday and sending them a card or sending them a message or, you know, saying to your child, I know it's your parent's birthday at the weekend. Do you want to get them something with me so it feels like a surprise? Okay, like it's a tiny thing. Or at Christmas, is there something that, again, you can show your child? I still think of that person, you know, in terms of remember, you're still a family to your child. So I still have a thought for this person because, you know, we are always going to be your family. So I know it's Christmas and I'm not going to spend it with you, for example. You're going to be with your other parent. Is there something that you'd like me to do or you want to like, bring so that it feels like I'm present with you at Christmas and what is acceptable in in your couple relationship to do or not to do. So I would stay respectful and civil as much as possible. And if you can, every now and ta- every now and again, just show that kind of appreciation to the other. I know some families do things like they spend their children's birthdays together or they'll do a meal for their children's birthdays or something like that. If that feels possible, then go for it. But don't make yourself do things like that, like the visible stuff, um, the kind of we're here together if it doesn't work. Because if what happens is it ends up in a big conflict, then that's not positive for you or for your child. So think about what's possible and what works. Don't compare yourself to any other couples who have divorced or separated and do whatever they do. Try and just think about what matters to you as a family, even if you don't live in the same home. And how can you like show your child that you're both still there for them? Thank you so much. This feels like the warmest hug over something that is really so horrible and so difficult for so many people. But all of that is really really invaluable and so thank you ever so much and my pleasure I'm I'm glad that was useful where can people find you to hear more of your gems of wisdom 
<laughs> well, you said it at the beginning. I'm on Instagram. I'm Dr. Marta, psychologist on Instagram. Um, you can find me on my website, www.drmartapsychologist.com. And I have a course as well called the Confident Parent Course for children 18 months up to five. And hopefully there will be more for like school age children coming up soon. So if any of those things interest you, you can have a look on my website. And I have my podcast as well, Talking Sense with Dr. Marta, where I answer one parent's question every single week. Fabulous. Thank you ever so much. Thank you, Dr. Marta. My pleasure. Bye. So that was our discussion with Dr. Marta Deiros Coyado, whose name I have been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you can as you can tell, uh, my range of accents does not stretch. Anyway, Christy. Leah. What do you think of our chat with Dr. Marta? Oh my goodness. I just love her. And after chatting to her, I love her even more. And thank you, because you were the person that put me onto her. Gosh, when was it? Lockdown. And I just remember you signposting me to her Instagram. And since then, the amount of times I've tagged my husband and been like, this, we need to do this, you know. And so much of what she said was just so tangible and refreshing as well. There were so many things in there. So talking to kids about divorce is not something that is in my world at the moment. Um, But just hearing some of the things that she talked about that are applicable beyond just that situation. So obviously for anybody who's going through it, you know, anything where there's, I like a process and, you know, anything where Mm. there's really tangible steps that you can take is for me, I just think is always fantastic. And she did loads of that, which I loved, but just more broadly, some of the things that have been really going around my head since we spoke to her were the things around, um, when you've had a conversation that's gone badly, it's okay to go back to it and, and remedy it and repair and acknowledge that, things didn't come across perhaps how you wanted them to. So I thought, oh, yes, that's one that I'll be taking with me. Um, And also the other point around, I guess, and again, this sort of stands for anything when you're having a discussion with kids around it's not the final point once you've opened the can of worms, I guess, in the case of divorce. it's an ongoing conversation and you have to keep going back to it. Um, um, When she said about sitting down with your kids and talking to them about who their safe people are, who are the people that they trust. And I thought, gosh, yeah, that's so important. And this acknowledgement that actually sometimes it won't be you as the parent. Sometimes they need to go elsewhere and that's totally fine. I thought, oh yes. That was the, the main one for me, I think, that was a bit of a light bulb mm. was that I think we, in our individualistic society, mm. <laughs> um, we, you know, we really contain ourselves to ourselves so much. And actually, I don't think we realize the power and the freedom in actually including other people. Yeah. And also, I think I before I was listening to Dr. March, I think I would have felt a bit strange if my son um, was going to somebody else with his problems. Mm. And she made me realize that actually 
it's a really positive thing. Yeah. Um, and that I should know who those people are. Um, mm. So that's a conversation. I mean, my son's only eight, but I think that's a really interesting conversation to start. Who are your trusted grown-ups that you would talk to about uh, problems? I really Definitely. liked that. Yeah. I really liked, she just had a very grown-up a reassuring approach you kind of felt like everything's going to be okay mm. and it's very different to what's been modeled um in you know things that I've seen in yeah. in you know growing up um in but also kind of on tv I guess as well it's always kind of centered on this acrimony and yeah. um you know, broken families is a mm. phrase. And actually she's reinforcing that your family isn't broken. You're just not a romantic couple anymore, Yeah, but you're still a family. And I mean, for some people that won't be possible, like we discussed briefly, but um, that notion of you making your family uh, in the way that you are remaking your family in the way mm. that you want to and it, although it was a child-centric approach which I loved she was also making sure that you knew it was okay to you know be human and yeah, have feelings yeah. and for those feelings to be seen because it can be really scary um showing your big emotions to your mm. kids and for her to say actually it's it's good for them to see that and it's good for them to see that it meant so much to you that you're upset. So I thought, mm. yeah, there was a lot of really, really good stuff yeah. in there. Her ability to provide a framework for language is just wonderful, I think. She does it in just such an accessible way. <laughs> in my house. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Just, like, just say this to him. Yeah. I mean, and all will be okay. And actually, um, so the other one, when you were saying about it being a, you know, a very grown up approach that she kind of brought in as well. Um, my original third point was going to be just this point around what you do longer term. And I just thought, gosh, that was so good in terms of how to handle those situations or not to handle the situations when there's hurt and everything else. Because I just thought, gosh, you know, that that can relate to lots of situations, can't it? You know, because there's lots of other types of relationships that can break down. And, and when you still have to muddle through those relationships, some of those anchor points that you can cling on to. Again, I just love her. So pleased she's done one of our chats and let's hopefully get her back again. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. And yeah, I think that thing around the other pair um, and or the other person in any kind of relationship and how you talk about them when they're not there and if you can muster just being civil, yeah. Um, then, well, it's, it's kind of taking the high ground as well, but it must be so difficult sometimes, especially when one party has been, you know, particularly terrible. But yeah. um, no, she's something good to come back to. Um, so that was Dr. Marta and that was fantastic. And I hope that everybody uh, will be able to take something from that. And now for you and me, Christy, mm. what have you been listening to? What podcast have you been listening to? My favourite one that I've started binging through is Where There's a Will, There's a Wake with Kathy Burke. <gasps> Kathy! Kathy. Queen Kathy. Kathy. Yeah. 
dream guest. So, oh, oh, wouldn't she oh, be? Oh my god, I literally worship at the <laughs> altar of Kathy Burke. And well, I there you go. Ever listened to her podcast? Well. You, no, you need really- to get on it. It's brilliant. So the premise is you essentially talk through what your ideal funeral would be um, from the food, the guests. <gasps> the eulogy, how you die, all of this kind of stuff. It's brilliant. And the guests are excellent. So recent ones that I listened to, Jennifer Saunders was really good. Um, Bimini did it a few, uh, quite a little while ago now. Hilarious, that one. They're all just so, so good. So it would highly recommend that one if you've not listened to it. Um, how about you? That sounds right up my street. Um, I'm definitely going to get on that. Um, I have been listening to uh, Woman's Hour um, because I used to listen to it at 10am, kind of semi-religiously, but just not happening. So I'm catching up on the podcast and I was listening today to one with uh, Polly Toynbee and Mm. she was talking about class she's a journalist and she was talking about class um I think she's an author as well Mm. such an interesting conversation she was turning it on its head and talking about how we don't talk about um the leg up that the middle classes get and Mm. she she comes from that kind of background um and it was just I'm just a bit fascinated by these conversations around class at the moment. Mm. I was also listening to Eddie Marsan on um Krishna and Guru Murthy's Ways oh, to okay. Change the World. That's really good. But Eddie Marsan was talking about class as well. Oh. And then on Twitter I'd seen somebody talking about they were talking about working class uh culture and that it doesn't really matter how rich you are, this person was saying if you're working class, that's ingrained in you and mm. and you stay working class. And I just think all of these conversations, it's, it is still such a big thing in this country and it's such a really interesting area to mine and maybe even something you and I could talk about on this podcast at some point because Definitely. it is something that some people find uncomfortable mm. um, and for very, very different reasons. Um, yes, it's yeah it's a really interesting one to kind of try and interrogate I think there you go listeners that's going to be an up-and-coming episode no doubt yes I love (laughs) the idea of that (laughs) smash him right on to the next one yeah let's call it a day (laughs) bye bye thank you for listening to this is awkward the podcast about how to have difficult conversations we hope you enjoyed the show you can find us on instagram at Awkward Podcast, or you can email us at hello at thisisawkward.co.uk. Please do hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And five-star reviews will also help us expand our audience as we tackle life's most challenging chats. The content of this show is not meant to take the place of professional help, such as clinical and counselling support. Please do contact your healthcare provider, HR team, other professional body or a reputable charity to seek proper help for yourself if you've been affected by any of the issues in our show. Until next time. Take care, everyone.